You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On this off-season episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball, we'll be interviewing pitcherless writer Josh Shaw and talking about his article, 2023 National League Silver Linings, as well as talking about the transactions that took place in baseball since our last podcast. But before we get into all of that, John, how's everything going with you? Um, pretty good. Uh, PitchCon was just last week, so I got to watch a bunch of different baseball-related stuff and kind of getting amped for draft season. TGFBI invites just went out, I think, today or yep. yesterday or something like that. So, uh, yeah, pitchers and catchers report in, like, what, three weeks or something yep. crazy? Uh, and I just finished my first-year player draft for Dynasty, and, yeah, it just feels like a bunch of baseball stuff is happening and at the same time well i guess the twins actually did do something they traded jorge polanco which good and bad i mean obviously team favorite uh but it was it was probably about time for us to trade him uh yeah a lot of baseball stuff which is exciting to to think about but at the same time you know still a still a long road ahead of us man there's a there's a whole season ahead of us in, in the podcast and just fantasy baseball in general so excited for all of it but uh reminding myself that it's a marathon and not a sprint yeah, this is the start of the season, truly. Like, once the calendar turns to February, I mean, for me, as a baseball nut job, my season really starts in, like, November, December. I'm already doing research and right. doing all these mock-ups and whatnot. But the real start of the season, if you had to tell me, like, hey, what's that date that baseball really starts? For me, it's February 1st. I feel like football's about to have the Super Bowl, and then once that's over, it really is full baseball season for everyone. But once it becomes February 1st, most of the free agents have signed. You can really start projecting things and making rankings and talking about baseball and getting excited about it. So it's really that time now. So it is very, very exciting. We have a lot of stuff to talk about, but we now welcome Josh Shaw to the podcast to talk about his article, 2023 National League Silver Linings, a great article to read on PitcherList.com. Josh, welcome to the show. First timer here. That's right. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about your latest article, 2023 National League Silver Linings. Do you want to give a brief overview on what this article is about and what made you want to write about this? Yeah, so the article is basically about what I consider the best losers of 2023, if that makes any sense. Of course. Essentially, <laughs> you know, like not every team is going to make the World Series. Not every team has that aspirations. So what team on the margin could say to themselves, hey, we entered 2023 one way, we came out of 2023 this way, and we're really happy with what we have. Um, and that was really the inspiration because one of the things I love about sports in general is just watching team building happen. You know, there's a reason why all of America followed with the Detroit Lions over the last four or five weeks, because you watch them go from the Lions to now they're in the NFC Championship. And there's something really magical about watching these players come to the organization and transform them. And so with this article, I wanted to kind of take that approach, but with baseball and especially the NL and the AL. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean... It's always fun to root for like, quote unquote, America's favorite teams and just yeah. get behind a team <laughs> that maybe just 
was a little bit under the radar, kind of the underdog, and you just want to root for them. And you bring up a lot of good examples in this article. And we'll actually start with one of the teams you wrote about, which were the Cincinnati Reds, who might have the most impressive collection of young talent in the NL. We already know about the hype around their likely cornerstone of the future in Ellie De La Cruz, of course, but you also highlight a couple other talents in Matt McClain and Spencer Steer. Starting with McClain, how did this prospect, who wasn't even in most top 100 prospect lists to start 2023, become someone with a top 180p going into 2024 drafts? Yeah, McLean is a really interesting story. Uh, he's drafted in the first round of 2021. He's a college guy. He's 22. He gets goes right to Double A, and he is just horrific <laughs> <laughs> in Double A in his first year with the minors. He's slashing 232, 363, 453 in 103 games. Really, really bad. And there was hope once he goes to the Arizona Fall League later that year of like, hey, he's around guys his age, his development cycle. Hopefully he'll get better. He gets worse. <laughs> 190, 340, 317 slash. And like you said, I think it's because of all that. The MLB consensus was just low on him. They went, you know what? He's an older guy. He struggled really bad in double A. We're not going to have him on any of our top 100 lists. Understandable. The Reds, for some reason, go whatever, we're going to start him in AAA just to start out in, in 2023, see what happens. And he tears the cover off the ball. I don't want to go into all of his stats because I think it's kind of repetitive and boring, but he had 90 <laughs> total bases in 49 games played in AAA in his first season of AAA. This wasn't a guy who held over and then he transferred it over. First time in AAA just demolishes it. He gets a call to the MLB and just carries that success with him. I mean, he slashes 290, 357, 507, 864 OPS, 16 home runs and 50 RBIs in just 89 games played. He leads the team in average slugging percentage and OPS while tying for first in WRC plus. Um, and what I think is important for the listeners to remember now that we're getting to like the projection side of Matt McLean is those numbers could have been even better had he not gotten hurt in late August. Yeah. So he gets hurt in late August with a, I think an oblique strain and he's out all the rest of the season. He doesn't play at all of September. That's a whole month of production you're automatically missing out on. So if you have that month of production, all of a sudden you're looking at a guy with maybe, I don't know, 20 to 22 home runs, 70 maybe RBIs if you're really, really lucky, but probably 65. That changes your entire viewpoint on him as a player going into 2024. Yeah, um, definitely. And most people probably don't think of him as some riser because if you look at his Savant page – Nothing jumps out of like he's not this super hard hitting prospect with an elite, you know, exit velocity. But where he really shines is 86 percentile on bad and run value, he's 92nd percentile in sweet spot percentage. And the key for me moving forward for him is he's 93 percentile in sprint speed. Like that's that's crazy. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. He's not a superstar by any means yet. And I think compared to a lot of his contemporaries at the shortstop position or wherever he plays this year. You're not going to look at him and go, oh, well, I'll take him over Bobby Witt or I'll take him over Francisco Endor, one of the other established guys. But that 19, 90th percentile sprint speed translated to 14 seals last year. I expect that number to go up. I would also expect a lot of his other county numbers to just increase because flat out playing time. You know, like we said, he had 89 games played. It's roughly half a season. And the, the really impressive thing for me is he had, I think, only 40-ish home games. And in those home games, he had 306, 381, 596 with a 978 OPS at home. Crazy. And, and, and he'll double the home games in 2024. And he rocketed you know, 10 of his 16 home runs at home, 13 of his 23 doubles, just in those 42 games at Great American Ballpark. If those double, 
I mean, who knows what we're looking at in terms of total production there. Um, and what encourages me a lot about him probably avoiding the sophomore slump is he's 24. You know, he went to college for a couple of years. He went to double A. He went to Arizona Fall League. He went to triple A. This is a guy who's really experienced and really seasoned. And I would hope that helps him just maintain this level of consistency and be a really good target for you to draft. You pretty much covered everything with the baseball savant page kind of looking a little yeah. lackluster and <laughs> not that great. Nothing pops out of the page at you. And he also had a 385 Babbitt. So yeah. you might think that might come down, but speedier players usually play up with a higher Babbitt. So I think he can keep this going. I mean, he looked really, really good at the plate in his stint in the majors. And like you said, he kind of fell off at the end because of that injury. So uh -huh. do you personally believe that he's worth a top 180 P and it's someone you'll target in your drafts? I would say yes. Um, I mean, the, one of the reasons also we should remember is he's in the NL Central. It's not a, a division that's built on fire. I mean, we're recording this as Corbin Burns just got traded, funny enough. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> so he's going to face a lesson Brewers pitching staff from here on out because there's no Brandon Woodruff. There's no Corbin Burns for them. Their yep. number one now is now Freddie Peralta. He's going to see them a bunch. Um, you're playing the Pirates, who are still the Pirates. I mean, they could get better, but we don't know. The Cubs are really thin after Stroman just left. They're down to like Kyle Hendricks, Jordan Wicks. Drew Smiley, Jameson Tyon, he's going to see all of them. The Cardinals took good kind of steps in the right direction with their pitchers, but it's Sonny Gray, it's Lance Lynn at like 38, <laughs> who just gave up the most home runs in MLB history, I think, or something like that. Um, so it's not like he's playing in the AL East or this death trap of division that would make me really afraid for him. He's playing in a pretty comfortable position in a, in a great ballpark for offensive players. So I think he can easily just continue this moving forward especially on a team that should be better this season. He should have more projection in the lineup and the rest of the prospects that we're going to talk about should be getting better and help kind of soothe out everything that he has to worry about. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And just to piggyback off of the McLean mm. truther for Ellie De La Cruz, we mentioned him very briefly, but I know you didn't write about him in this article specifically, but are yes. you a buyer or a seller for him in drafts this season? I mean, he's going very high in drafts and the projected numbers for him is 17 homers and 36 deals in 563 Ooh. plate appearances. And I just personally, me, I'm a sucker for the upside, and I will always be someone who is optimistic about guys like this. And I think he's going to blow those out of the water. I'm personally a truther, but where are you on that? I'm kind of torn on him because I think, to your point, when most people read my article, they'll go, okay, yeah, Spencer Sear, okay, Matt McClan, okay, Ellie De La Cruz, where's the section of Ellie De La Cruz? Because they just assume of him yeah. as you know the superstar because of everything he did. Um, and the reason why he's not mentioned on the article is because he looked like a superstar for 30 games. He had an 8.87 OPS in his first 30 games. He had as much F4 during that time as Otani, Lindor, Jose Ramirez, <laughs> Luis Robert, Mookie <laughs> Betts. I mean, just it's crazy what he did in those first 30 games. But over the next 68 games, he has a slash line of 191, 272, 355. 627 OPS, just nine home runs and 28 RBIs, and double the amount of time. Uh, oh, double the amount of time. So for me, it's it's kind of like okay, that's not good. And the strikeouts are really, really concerning for me. You know, over those 68 games in the back half of the season, he had 105 strikeouts. Yeah. The only person with more strikeouts during that time than him was Eugenio Suarez. Like, <laughs> we're not talking about like John Carlos Stanton and Joey Gallo and Aaron Judge. We're talking about only one guy, and it's Eugenio Suarez. 
De La Cruz led the Reds in strikeouts despite playing 58 fewer games than Spencer Sear, who finished in second. Yeah, that's insane. Think- and his strikeouts are definitely a problem. And that is the one thing he has to overcome. But as a 22-year-old, I personally mm-hmm. think that he's just going to grow and become better. I mean, his ADP right now is 21. And mm-hmm. obviously, with his projections, it could be lower. But this is the same thing we saw with Bobby Witt and Corbin Carroll and Julio Rodriguez. People didn't want to believe right away. And then they didn't pay that high price. And then they missed out. And yeah. I think Ellie is one of those guys that's just a generational talent. John, what do you think about Ellie? What's your opinion on Ellie de la Cruz for the season? You in, are you out? I think at like a, a 1530 clip, um, it's nice, but I don't know if I'm drafting him as high as 20. That's that, fair. That seems, that seems a little high for a guy who, um, if we're being honest, like helps out in one category for sure in steals, but it kind of struggles in every other category in a five by five league. So, uh, I think there's better value at that pick range than than Ellie. Yeah, I think you're completely right on that. But remember, John, you and I both fell victim last season where people were taking Bobby Witt in round one. And yeah. we were like, what are you doing? <laughs> why, <laughs> why is this happening? This is not yeah. deserved. And then what did he do? Oh, he only became like the second overall pick in this year's draft. So. Yeah. He really did perform to that. Same with Corbin Carroll. I took him a lot of places in the fourth, fifth round, and he played like a first rounder. Now he's going top five overall in draft. So it's these kind of risks you have to take. And I think his value is a little too high, of course, but we thought the same about Bobby Witt. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about Elite De La Cruz since he's such an exciting guy to talk about. And of course, we have to cover that in fantasy, but yes. wanted to make sure we covered a little bit of Ellie in this. I also think it's worth pointing out that the organization is going to be behind him 110%. Right. Yeah. He's not a guy that it's going to be like, oh, man, he's slumping, drop him out of the five hole, put him down at nine. I think they're so you know, in, in him as a prospect and as a person for them going into the future. The organization is going to tell the manager, David Bell, like, look, give him his fair chances yep. until he literally proves he can't play. And that's vital because he's going to get a huge sample size and a lot of experience. Yes, I completely agree on that. Yeah. Well, moving on to another young guy. Spencer Steer, who I'm pretty familiar with as, as a Twins fan. Obviously, we traded him and Christian Encarnacion Strand for Tyler Molly, and that worked out real well for, yeah, my uh, condolences. for the Reds. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, like, at, at the end of the day, I'll probably still say it was a good trade at the time, but um, obviously, with Tyler Molly only pitching 10 games for the Twins, like, ugh, that just takes your mouth. Yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, Spencer Steer, I think. I was surprised. I mean, I think I knew this in the back of my head, but I was surprised again to read that. Like, he essentially played six uh, an entire season in Cincinnati, uh, 156 games. Um, but it, I, I feel like when you mentioned, you know, the names in Cincinnati, there's a lot of hot ones, right? There's Ellie, obviously. It's, um, mm-hmm. uh, Matt McLean. I think even, like, CES uh, has a little bit more hype around him. Neville Marte is obviously, like, the, the fun new toy in the block, as as fun as, like, you know, all the other toys are. And yeah. then there's Spencer Steer, who's kind of just this utility man kind of guy, and he's he's the oldest of the bunch, too, at 26. That being said, though, he's still, like, kind of nearing top 180p uh, fantasy pros. I think he was at, like, 103. So what makes Steer so interesting compared to, you know, the, these other guys that we're talking about? 
Yeah, so we talked a lot about Matt McLean and like where does he lead the Reds and what offensive categories. Mm-hmm. And there's a few that we didn't mention, and that's because Spencer Shear leads those. <laughs> <laughs> he had a team leading 23 home runs, 37 doubles, and 86 RBI. And he was really a transformative player just by his own standard last year. You know, in 2022, he had a brief stint with the Reds after the, he was in part of the trade. Yep. And he mm-hmm. just wasn't that impressive. But in 2023, he's hitting the ball, you know, harder, faster, further, more consistently. He struck out far less and despite playing 100 more games or something like that while maintaining a 10.2% walk rate. That's really good. Um, and the real stat and split that I found fascinating and why I think people should be higher on Spencer Steer is his road OPS was lower than his home OPS last year. Okay, you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't think that for a guy playing in Cincinnati so much that you'd be like, oh well, he's in Cincinnati. That's a barn box. He's gonna be tearing it up. But he had more home runs and he had more doubles away from Great American Ballpark than he did in it. I could easily you know see that changing in a big way because like we're talking about, he's not a guy where it's like, okay, well he wasn't that good and we're gonna have to project some. He's already proved he's talented and he can do it consistently for a long time. It's just a matter of can he do it at home and if he can do it at home, where his numbers gonna go? Because if he does it, all of a sudden we're talking about 25 to 30 home runs and 90-plus RBIs on a guy you're looking at way down on the draft board. He's got a quality average. He's an above-average eye. Um, and he's going to get a lot of chances to like enhance those splits moving forward. Like we talked about De La Cruz, um, the team is invested in him. They've seen him work. Last year he hit third, fourth, or fifth in the lineup 66% of the time. So they want to give him the at-bats. So you're looking at a guy – who if he can do it better at home and just overall, he's going to be hitting the middle of the order for a team with playoff aspirations that are going to play hard. And the other part of it is that he's going to get a lot of guys on bases. That team is so fast. You know, (laughs) I think it's the one part we're not talking about enough with the Reds, how fast that team is in general. It's insane. Yeah. Um, McLean, Friedel, Ellie De La Cruz, Noelvi Marte are all incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. And if even two or three of them are hitting above steer, if he gets on base with one of them at first, he can knock them in. If they're on second, he can knock them with just a single. And it's really, really small stuff that can add up for Spencer Steer to the point where you get to, you know, 95 RBI. Um, and his defensive versatility is, I think, listeners should really keep in mind. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. a he's a career minor league infielder. He goes to the Reds in 2023, and they're like, hey. You ever played the outfield? And he's like, no, never. Never once in my MLB career besides like maybe two times. Like, well, you're going to play 48 games in the the outfield this year. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And when you look at the Reds' top prospects, you know, on the team and in the system, it's a lot of guys in the infield. You know, Ellie De La Cruz, third base. Welvi Marte, shortstop slash second base. Matt McLean, shortstop slash second base. Encarnacion, Strand, first and third. It's so crowded. And they and just signed not... Jamer Candelario, too. <laughs> yes, I was just about to get to him. And they still have Jonathan India somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So it's like, it's like, where does Spencer Steer play? And that is where the outfield play is going to come into field and like be a big part of fantasy. Because he's going to now be eligible because of his past versatility to play first, third, and the outfield position. So you could get to a point in your draft where you're going like, oh, man. I feel really good about my outfield, but I don't feel good about my second baseman or my third baseman. Who could I add as an impact bat that could do a lot for me? That's Spencer Steer, because he'll be eligible to be slotted in at second or third. And then, boom, there you go. That's an easy, quick fix. He's incredibly diverse. He doesn't sacrifice his defensive glove for his offensive ability. And he's going to just be deep in the draft because 
one of the reasons I think he slept on flat out is just the prospectness of it all. He was not a high prospect with the Twins, mm-hmm. and people hold on to those biases in yep. the MLB, in the fan base, in the media, and they don't want to look at these guys until they really can't ignore them. Right. I mean, I remember the big the big reason why the Twins were so willing to trade him was he was a little bit older, mm-hmm. and at the time, he was basically a third-base prospect, and we had Jose Miranda at that spot. Of course, we all know who that one went. Um, but uh, then Royce Lewis decided, oh, yeah, that's right. I can play third base, too. So we, he was just really – there was just a lock in here. So it was actually kind of frustrating to see him go to Cincinnati and then them putting him in the outfield. He's like, oh, yeah, he's actually kind of like an, a yeah. outfielder. Like, it's like, why didn't we just do that? But, he didn't make uh, any errors in the outfield. He played 47 games there for the first time in his career. They're like, oh, no, he's perfect. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of nuts. Um, and – I think it's interesting because one of the cool things about Steers kind of makeup is, is that kind of highish OBP. Um, like you mentioned, like so many guys are going to get on base uh, mm. in Cincinnati, but even if he gets like a walk, it's like probably going to be somewhat productive. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that 10.2 walk a uh, percent walk rate that he had uh, last season, good for 73rd percentile, just really stellar numbers um, all across the board for, for steer and, yeah, it's kind of exciting to see what he's going to do because he really feels like the guy that has, you know, kind of the the least hype out of all the uh, all the other guys that we mentioned. But he might be the most versatile um, out of all of them too. And there's just a good chance he's the most valuable of them all. I mean, he had, the, he had the best year out of pretty much anyone besides maybe Matt McLean. Mm-hmm, and right. I think McLean will surpass him. But after that, it's like. Do I think TJ Friedel is going to repeat as easily? No. <laughs> I still need to see it from Ellie De La Cruz. Marte hasn't really been in the big leagues. Will Benson's up and down. Tyler Stevens is going to bat ninth. So who else are you kind of betting on in that lineup? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, if you think of, like, a 2015 floor for a guy who could, you know, be batting 270 and, you know, have, you know, like you said, 90 RBIs or something like that, and that's mm-hmm. a guy that's going in the 10th, you know, 11th round, maybe uh, who can play multiple positions like that. That, that <laughs> sounds real nice right now. It sounds real good. Yes. Yes. And, and all of your friends are not going to know who Spencer Steer is. I can guarantee you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah. you're me and then you play with a bunch of twins. Yes. And it's Unless like, you're oh, anyone all, in the picture. And we staff. all know who Spencer Steer is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got a lot of Spencer Steer fans and honestly, rightfully so, because like you mentioned, the versatility of him and his positional eligibility just changes how you can really construct your team. And that helps a lot. And like you said, I don't know how the batting order is going to look. If Ellie leads off, then Matt McClain, then Spencer Steer or something like that. It could be really good for RBI for Spencer Steer. He could get a 100-plus RBI season with ease if that lineup fully takes off. So Spencer Steer is definitely someone great. But speaking of these young Reds, obviously we talked about Ellie and Matt McClain and Steer. Are there any other guys, Josh, that you're looking to target in drafts this year on the Reds? Yeah, I just kind of made fun of him, and I want to apologize to TJ Friedel. Um, <laughs> so if you're listening, was, TJ, just we're sorry. We didn't mean it. He's a huge fan, and I just want to apologize <laughs> to TJ. I'll send him a shirt or something. Um, he was incredible last year for the Reds, frankly. You know, 279, 352, 467 slash, 18 home runs, 66 RBIs, and the kicker is 27 steals. He's going to return yeah. to the outfield pretty much unchallenged this year. The only guys that are maybe going to push him are Steer, but I don't think so. I don't think he's really that vastly better that it's going to be like, okay, well, you're not going to play TJ Friedel. So then it's like Jake Fraley and Stuart Fairchild. They're not going to push TJ Friedel out of the lineup unless he really bombs. And kind of going back to the thing we just talked about with Steer, 
no one's going to draft TJ Friedel because he's TJ Friedel. <laughs> like, <laughs> like people don't look at him and they go, oh man, TJ Friedel. I'm, I want his card when I open my tops pack. I'm just like TJ Friedel. It's like a made up name you see in MLB The Show. But he was really, really good for them. And I, I would really encourage people to give him like an honest shot. He's an older guy. He's not super flashy, but he could be a really good, you know, fourth or fifth outfielder fine deep in the draft. Um, and not to pour salt in John's wins with a Molly trade, <laughs> but I do think Christian Encarnacion Strand is going to be really good. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know how often he's going to play. I don't know where it goes to the same problem we had with Steer of like, where do you put him? So Strand's probably going to be at DH, which kind of limits where you're going to have slots for him. Yeah. But he, he was super productive last year in limited playing time. 270, 328, 477, 13 home runs, 37 RBIs, and just 67 games played. And the inverse of Steer is that Strand was super productive at home. 296 average and 858 OPS at Great American Ballpark. If he can hover around that mark with roughly 50 more games in that field, I mean, we're talking about a guy with you know serious slugger potential. And to go back to the politics that we mentioned with De La Cruz, they're high on Strand. They're going to want to see him a lot. They want to give him good at-bats and good chances. Yeah. yeah. There could be some fun little, you know, him, Jamer, Jonathan India, like mm-hmm. them cycling through, you know, that DH spot and, you know, potentially getting getting days in the infield as well. That um, definitely plays. And I mean, the big thing about Strand, of course, he just hits the ball hard. And yes. uh, it usually works well <laughs> when you play in Cincinnati. Like, yeah. it's, it's usually going to go either over the fence or, you know. Uh, do do at least some damage there. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, if the Reds get to a position, you know, come trade deadline time where things are going really well, but they need a real impact bat or a real impact arm, Encarnacion Strand is a guy that could deal to a really upstart team that could use him full-time moving forward because right now he's probably a platoon guy. Mm-hmm. So if you take him, you know, and he's kind of undeserving so far and he's not giving you a lot, if he does get traded for some reason, he probably will go to a team that's going to play him a lot and need him a lot. And that could boost his value in the second half a lot. Yeah, it's a cluster on the Reds right now. And it's going to be very hard. Like one of these guys is definitely going to get shafted. That's what I think yes. is like one of these guys, whether it's Christian Encarnacion Strand or TJ Friedel or Spencer Steer, someone is going to get the short end of the stick there because it's just not possible to fit everyone in. I mean, we just named seven infielders before and, and we just remember Jonathan India was on the team. So like, yeah. <laughs> someone is going to get traded at the deadline for a pitcher or something. I'm thinking an India or Christian Encarnacion Strand, like you said. So there's a lot of potential for them to make moves and trade away people because they still have a great farm system as well. So it's tough to get playing time right now on the Reds, but I think that once they have their team locked in and they have the right mix, they're going to be very, very scary and going to have a lot of production going into 2024. And Noelvi Marte is really the last guy we should really kind of mention in in brief, just because yeah. he's another shortstop. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just honestly, another guy. I'm very high on Noel V. Marte this yes. season. He's someone that I want at the end of all of my drafts, if possible, because I think he has such good potential he just needs the playing time because I think if it was guaranteed that he was going to play 162 games in the season just saying that he has a legit spot in the lineup I think he would go a lot higher in drafts I I do too frankly I mean 316 batting average last year and 37 games played it's a lot of projection and it's a lot of hoping yep but they didn't just get him in the Luis Castillo trade because he was just some guy right he is he's the best prospect in their system 91st percentile on sprint speed so another guy that can get you steals 
And when you look at this lineup, I think he's a clear guy that is going to start at short or third, yep. wherever they want to put Ellie De La Cruz. Cause it's like Jonathan India, no disrespect to him. I'll buy him a t-shirt too. He's a <laughs> progress stopper right now for that team. Yep. At a certain point, they're going to say, Hey, push comes to shove. We need to give these young guys time. Jonathan India. Thank you for your time. Rookie of the year. You were great for us. Go get us a, a reliever from a bad team. Um, and so Marte should see his production pick up at some point through the season. And if he gets that increased playing time and he gets more games at home and he's hitting comfortably at like the sixth spot and he has a lot of guys on base in front of him, he could be a really good riser and a really good find late in the draft. Yeah, that's what stinks about Jonathan India because I don't think he deserves this kind of treatment where he's kind of pushed no. out of a spot. He played fantastically last season. His numbers were great. He was a mm-hmm. perfectly good fantasy second baseman. But now with all this young talent emerging from Cincinnati, it's just like, Man, is India really just going to get pushed out? And it kind of looks that way. Yeah, um, I don't know where he goes. <laughs> I don't know what they do, honestly. Yeah. I've, I've, I, and when I was writing this article, I looked at it and I was like, man, I do not envy this position for for Bell. And no. just being like, I don't know what my lineup is every day. I'm happy with whatever the lineup is, but God, it's going to feel awful looking at these guys in the mirror and saying, hey, you're not playing today, and you're not yep. playing again tomorrow. Yep. Oh, definitely. Yeah, tough to make everyone happy. Well, moving on, the second team that you talk about in this article, I was actually a little surprised by it, but Mm. it's the Washington Nationals, who you do mention, they did finish last in the NL East, but it was a 71-91 record, which is, like, pretty solid um, in the AL Central that plays third. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, anyways, uh, enough ripping on the AL Central. Uh, (laughs) The Nationals, though, I I have a team. I have a guy who like really likes the Nationals for no real reason. Uh, I I have Nationals merch because I think the Cherry Blossom uniforms are, are like some of the greatest uniforms ever. Yeah, and of course I'm really sad that they're retiring them. Yeah, uh, in my Dynasty League, I just drafted Dylan Cruz, so I'm really hoping that Same. the Nationals do well, <laughs> buddy. Uh, so like. I'm like full on like I've Brady House. I've got uh, Elijah Green on my dynasty. I, I unintentionally go. drafted a bunch of nationals, so I'm excited for them. Uh, I, I they have one of you know one of the players I feel like is really underrated in Kyber Ruiz, who you mentioned in this article. Mm. Um, I think he's such a really solid catcher in like two catcher leagues for sure. He's he's kind of fringy in terms of one catcher leagues, but he's he's helpful enough that he's not like a, a complete zero. Um, but that being said, when I look at this national squad, to me, you read off these names and it kind of feels like it's just a bunch of kind of post-hype prospects, right? A bunch yeah. of guys who got traded yeah. for for bigger pieces and there was a lot of hype around them when they got traded. And then they finally came to the majors and was like, ah, maybe you're not that good. And of course, the two pitchers that you mentioned in the article who I want to focus on right now are Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. Uh, Gray's currently ranked 173rd in Nick's uh, top 200 pitcher rankings. Scores a little bit higher at 123rd. So not like great rankings at all for either of those guys. <laughs> so not probably not going to be drafting them in the first 15 rounds of the draft. Might might not even draft them in the first 20 rounds of the draft. Is there hope for improvement for these two? Or was their performance in 2023 somewhat indicative of what they're going to be for the remainder of their careers? It's hard with both of them. Um, when I was looking through the teams, the NL, and I was like, okay, who are my NL silver liners, if I'm going to mm-hmm. call it that, as like, an award? Um, the Nationals came up because they did outperform expectations, and I really was struck by Josiah Gray when I first looked at him. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then, like you said, it's this process with every single Nats pitcher. You're like, oh, okay, let me look at some splits here. Oh, 
Oh no, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> of the two of them though, I do prefer Josiah Gray personally. Yeah. Um, I think he really showed a lot in 2023, despite the bad things we'll get to, you know, in the first half of last season, he goes six and seven, 3.41 ERA, 1.44 FIP and 101 innings. Mm-hmm. It's 18 starts. It's the best stretch of his career easily, which is the downside to Josiah Gray because everything before that was uh, not good. He makes the all-star team. The merit of that is muddled. If you want to read more about that, go to the article. But he does make the all-star team, and he does play really good for 18 starts. With Mackenzie Gore, I haven't seen it. You know, I'm an NLEs fan. I'm a Mets fan. Uh, you can yeah. apologize now if Let's you want. Let's go, Josh. Oh, I'm are? a Mets fan too, baby. Thank God. It is a tough road to hoe, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not fun being a Mets fan, but I represent it well. Me too. Me too. Um, <laughs> he was really good against us, Mackenzie Gore was, in the three starts. I'm calling him us now already. Cause now, yeah, yeah. Yep. No, no, we're good. Yeah, we're family now. It's all you've we're, got. Yeah. It's all you've got at this point. Yeah. yeah, we're officially family. It's all good. We got it. <laughs> it's Francisco Alvarez, and it's just calling the Mets like they're my family. It's like Uncle yep. Steve, Cousin yep. Pete. Um, but Gore was really good against the Mets in like three games. But outside of that, in like two years of the MLB, I just haven't seen it. You know, it's a 4.5 and a 4.42 or a 4.42 ERA in 2022 and 2023. And when you look at the Savant numbers to kind of be like, okay, well, hopefully there's something there that makes people really enthused. There's not. The only thing that's super high from is pitch extension. That's kind of it. Other than that, you're looking at poor percentiles and everything besides like whiff rate, K rate, and fastball velocity. And someone might look at that and go like, okay, so he gets people to swing and miss. He can strike people out, and his fastball is really good. Just use the fastball more. Everything will come together naturally. He used his fastball already 6% of the time last year. Yeah. Yep. So where is he adding You know, unless he only spams the fastball like an NPC or something? Um, <laughs> so for me, it's more likely that Gore kind of maintains these career averages than it is that he easily surpasses them. I mean, all of that said, he is the former third overall pick in a draft he's still 24 that's not super young but there is time he's only played two mlb seasons and you can go and project onto that he has time to prove it around and some will talk about which is i agree too he has a long leash to figure it out the nationals even though they made a lot of solid steps in the right progression they're not going to be a good team next year <laughs> you know no offense <laughs> to them and they're going to want to see mackenzie gore and let him feel it out Josiah Gray, um, he has shown the more quality pitching like we talked about, but the second half numbers are just really, really bad and discouraging because as good as the first half is, the second half makes you think it was just fool's gold. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about a um, 4.76 ERA and 12 second half starts, and it's not just like his ERA that saw like a big uptick. His whip went up, his FIP went up, his walk went up, his walks per nine went up, and his K, his K percentage saw a 1.6% decrease. That's really hard to have happen and be like, okay, I feel fine about him. Um, but the thing that makes me just feel gooder about Gray than I do Gore is I've seen it. I've seen for 18 starts and be a really solid, you know, two in a rotation on a bad team. And I would hope that would be even better because, again, he is in the NL East. That's a hard division to pitch in, you know, outside of the Mets last year. Another uh, here nor there. Um, <laughs> and so he will have a long rope just to like Gore to really figure it out because it's like Patrick Corbin or Jake Irvin and Trevor Williams. That's kind of it for competition for them. So I would imagine both of them have a long leash, another 30 seasons or 30 start season, and just figure out what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, I am very high on Mackenzie Gore, and there's really no reason for me to be. 
<laughs> because he really hasn't shown anything, like you said. And he did have a few good starts against the Mets, which always stinks to watch. But Gore's prospect pedigree was just through the roof. I mean, I remember when he got drafted and just looking at his stuff, and I was like, wow, this kid is going to be great. Like, I was just so impressed by him. And now it's not really showing, but I feel like he's going to have one of those breakout seasons, maybe not this year, but just in general. I mean, I have him in a dynasty, like John said. I just drafted Dylan Cruz as well. I'm a Mets fan, so having all these nationals is conflicting. But yeah, <laughs> still, I do really like Mackenzie Gore. I like Josiah Gray, too. Do I think they're going to be, like, absolute studs for fantasy? Not really, but do I think that they could be serviceable SP3s, SP4s in most situations? Yeah, I think they have the possibility to be that. I mean, John, how do you feel about these guys? Because, I don't know, I like both of them. I genuinely like them both as pitchers, and I hope that they have successful careers. But right now, they're just not really proving anything. I I mean, I fondly remember that first half of the season for Josiah Gray because I picked him up on one of my teams. Yep. It was kind of nice. There you go. Um, But yeah, that second half, he was just immediate drop. (laughs) Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I... Yeah, I would hesitate ranking them as high as SP4s. Like, I feel like these are guys that you're hoping have a good stream. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Honest. Of course. Um, I'm like saying if it all broke right, they could be an if SP3, it all broke SP3 right, SP4. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, maybe. He won't I, give I, it to him. He won't <laughs> give it to them. I, I, he still, he still go, doesn't like it. John high. doesn't yeah, like I, it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I still don't like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, the one thing is, you know, Gray's 26, Gore's 24. That's kind of the age that some of these, you know, things stabilize. Like, kind of, you are the pitcher who you are. But we've seen so many pitchers learn, you know, like a new way to grip your slider or, you know, something like that late in their careers. Like, there is absolutely nothing that would indicate that these guys don't have a chance to improve. Um, I think if I'm going to have to, like, you know, flip a coin between the two, I just like Gore because of the strikeouts, really. Mm. You know, like, that that still plays regardless. Um, you know, the, the, the other metrics aren't the nicest in terms of, you know, hard contact. He still walks a ton of people, gets hit pretty hard. Um, but he's like a decently average pitcher. And I think that that still works out most of the time in, in your leagues. So yeah, if I'm going to have to choose between one of those two gore, maybe, but Josh, you have a good point that, you know, we saw Gray's peak and it looked really good and we still have yet to see anything good from gore. Yep. I think both of them are somewhat burdened by the trades they came in from. I for think sure. when you yep. come in for Scherzer and you come in for Soto, respectively, it's hard for them to live up to that in any stretch or means. And we'll get to CJ Abrams next and how he kind of works out. Um, but it is just really hard for both of them to be like, hey, these are our next Scherzer in Strasburg. And neither <laughs> of them have looked even like a Ford. Well, one of them looks like late career Strasburg, but you know, <laughs> they're not looking like prime either of them. So. Yeah, it's tough. They're definitely not the Scherzer-Strasburg combo. That's far from it. But as you mentioned, we're going to bring up C.J. Abrams, and he was just literally one of the few bright spots for the Nationals. They didn't have many. Joey Manessis was supposed to have a big year. He stunk. There was a lot of big flameouts. That was the Mets fan coming out. I could hear it right there, too. No, no, no. That was... I was so high at Joey Manessis last season, and oh my gosh, I was... 
so disappointed. <laughs> yeah, Josh, that wasn't the Mets fan coming out. That was the guy who had a lot of stock of him <laughs> in fantasy. And yeah, that, that's the what came out there. Yeah. He stunk. So yeah, not very happy about him. But C.J. Abrams was a bright spot for the Nationals, who developed more of a balanced game after being known as just a pure speedster in the minors. As you noted in your article, his slugging percentage improved a pretty decent amount, finishing the season with a 427 slug in the second half of the season. If you were going to come up with a hypothetical 90 percentile projection for Abrams, is a 25 homer 50 season out of reach or within reality for Abrams? I have my personal opinion on it, but what do you think? I'm going to come in hot with my one hot take oh, uh, of the okay. appearance. Let's hear it. I think it's not likely. I think it's going to happen this year. Oh, I really wow. Okay. So let's talk about it. Okay. So he had 18 home runs in 2023 during yeah. his age 22 season after hitting zero home runs in 44 games of the Nats in 2022. Mm-hmm. That tells me he's a guy who's still learning and still growing and how to access his power. And his frames was a lot of room to grow. You know, he's 6'2", he's a lanky 191. He can easily add some muscle to that this offseason if he wants to. I don't think he's going to. But what I'm trying to get at is, like, there's a frame there for him to just get better and get broader and figure it out. Um, And the thing that's really impressive is, like, he hit those 18 home runs with a 35.9 hard hit rate and an 86.6 average exit velocity. That's not good. That's not like super. That doesn't leak off the page. The MLB had a 39.5 average hard hit rate as a, as a sport and an 88.5 average exit velocity. He's lower than both of those, and he still hit 18 home runs in just his second full season in the MLB. That tells me to feel like really good about him. And the other part is we talked about how Gray and Gore have not developed his pitchers and how the Nats kind of have a problem with that on the whole. Guess what? The Nats don't have a problem developing hitters. Um, you know, let's talk about the hitters. Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon, Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, Kiebert Ruiz. They've all been really good for the Nats. I mean, they got a 251 average out of Kyle Schwarber. How many teams can do that? I mean, Kyle Schwarber is hitting like 190 now. I mean, so like yeah, kudos yeah. to them in that respect. And they just seem to know how to unlock stuff with hitters. And the other part of it is he should be more projected this year. Uh, CJ Abrams should. I mean, look at the hitters around him in 2023. We're talking about like Alex Call, Red Sox favorite Michael Chavis, uh, former Met, you and I can bond over Dominic Smith. Yep. <laughs> yep. Jake Alou, Joey Manessis, who we just talked about. Um, and no disrespect to any of them. I'll buy them all shirts too. Uh, but they're not every MLD players for me. You know, like in 2024, at least the Nets, the Nets are going to add like Gallo and Nick Senzel every day. And Abrams is going to probably hit leadoff for the most part of the season. And Kiebert Ruiz should be even better just a little bit. And so now we're looking at hitting around like Lane Thomas and Kiebert Ruiz and Joey Gallo as your power threat. And so the lineup should be more catered to be a little more balanced. And maybe pitchers are going to be like, okay, Gallo is around. You know, not that Joey Gallo's a guy to fear. I'm not going to kid ourselves, but you know, <laughs> like he is an MLB player. And when you're taking when you're a team like the Nationals and you're trying to get from like an awful record to a good record, you have to take steps from bad to average and bad to like just MLB caliber. Um, and as for like the the part of the other part of it is like he's not going to face the same level of scrutiny as other up and comers. You know, he's on the Washington Nationals in the nation's capital, but no one cares about the Washington Nationals right now. <laughs> they really could not. So CJ Abrams is going to have room to make his mistakes and figure it out and do what he wants and really be the face of the franchise. Who's on the poster in spring training for them? Like, like who do you guys think it's going to be? It's going to be like Kiebert Ruiz, CJ Abrams, and it's going to be like um, 
hey guys, how do you feel about Stone Garrett? It's like oh, uh, the fans are going to buy that. <laughs> I think they might put Dylan Cruz on there as their their poster yes. boy. They might give him a chance of some airtime there. But no, I mean, I want to believe in C.J. Abrams. I see the player. I saw what he did, and I think a twenty five fifty is definitely possible. I know your hot take is that he's going to do it this year. I'm a little bit more on the other side of it that I think Abrams had a great season. I think the speed is 100% real. I'm worried about the batting average. Kind of the similar thing to Ellie De La Cruz. Now the strikeouts aren't as prominent, of course, with Abrams. But I just feel like he could go through a struggle that lasts a prolonged amount of time that leads him to a 10-35, kind of like a prime Whit Merrifield season for C.J. Abrams. Mm. (laughs) And I don't want to give him that moniker because he deserves a little bit more than that. But... C.J. Abrams has all the potential in the world, and I fully believe that he's going to be a great player, but I'm kind of sussed out on paying the price that he's going for in drafts. He's going very high in drafts, so I really don't want to pay that. It's funny because I will pay that for Ellie, but I won't pay it for C.J., so <laughs> a little bit contradictory. I'm pretty but sure their their projections are like actually scarily similar. I bet. I genuinely think they're the same. I don't know what CJ's are off the top of my head for the Bat X, which I referenced LE2 before. But yeah, CJ for Bat X right now is 17 homers and 34 steals. Yeah, that's pretty much identical that's to exactly Ellie. Yeah, Ellie's yeah, is 36 yeah. steals, I believe, but 17 homers is exactly the same. Yeah, so, so it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Once again, I think overall projections treat prospects and rookies a little bit worse in the systems like they don't give a lot of credit where credit's due or put room for growth so I think Ellie is being a little bit shafted in the projections and CJ Abrams is probably right on like I would say Ellie is going to have a better season than CJ and I'm pretty confident about that but once again CJ Abrams could go off and I still think he's going to be a fantasy asset regardless of if he goes 15 and 35 or 25 and 50 it's just about what kind of leap he takes next yeah, I mean, you brought up the prospects that we're going to be talking about with, like, who's on the poster. If you throw in Dylan Cruz and, and Brady House to this team in the yep. middle of the year, that's even more protection for, for C.J. Abrams to just feel better and be like, okay, I'm not alone on an island having to carry this entire offense on my back. And yep. I think if that's taken off of his shoulders, he can relax a little, play a little more free, and I think his play could get better from there. This The stolen base part, getting to 50, that feels so doable to me. Yeah, it's the home yeah. run stuff I'm really worried about. I'm for people who haven't read the article, he had 33 steals during the last 70 games of the season. If you double that, you're at 66. (laughs) That's a ton of room to play with. Uh, The only players with more steals than CJ Abrams of the second half were Ronald Acuna Jr., Esther Ruiz, Corbin Carroll, and Bobby Wood Jr. I mean, Abrams got like way better at stealing and got more comfortable with it. So I expect that to be like an easy over 50. Uh, probably. So he's an easy guy to just get late in the draft because, again, he's probably going lower than Ellie De La Cruz, and they project to be the same. I don't think he's going to be as good as De La Cruz automatically, but the steal is going to be there you know, automatically. So C.J. Abrams, last time I checked, he was going around ADP of 50, and that's the okay. reason why I'm kind of sussed out about it because he was a relatively nobody the season prior than when he broke out. Obviously, all rookies and prospects end up as someone that kind of struggled and then break out. And Abrams truly broke out last season. But that's what worries me most. And once again, I'm contradicting myself by being in on Ellie De La Cruz. (laughs) But I just think Ellie's ceiling could be a 40-40 guy, whereas Abrams' ceiling is a 25-60 guy. And both are great. And once again, it's like comparing apples to oranges. But 
I think both are going to be good. I'm just more of a believer in Ellie's talent, and I'm willing to pay that price because I can see him living up to that price. I could see C.J. Abrams really falling short of ADP 50, depending if everything breaks right or not. So that's the one real issue I have. But once again, it's a big contradiction because they're very similar players, Ellie and C.J., but just Ellie has that infinitely more power upside than C.J. So I contradict a little bit, but overall, (laughs) we have a lot of things to be excited about between the Reds, the Nationals, and this article really, really summed up those true 2023 National League silver linings. So great job on this article, Josh. It's a great read. I recommend everyone to go check it out on pitcherlist.com. But Josh, before we go, would you like to plug anything and mention where people can find you, where they can follow you and check out all of your stuff? Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Josh the underscore Journo. Uh, I'll be tweeting about pictureless stuff there as the season ramps up. Uh, you'll probably hear some deranged Mets thoughts here and there. Um, I mean, it's just bound to happen. I really hate Mets fans on the whole, so that'll be a fun you know relic for me to like look into. Where they're all like, oh, "Steve Cohen's not trading for Shohei Otani. How dare he? He's worse than Will Pond." It's like, shut up! I'm like, stop, oh man, stop. we're on the same um, wavelength, my guy. Yes, same thing. you could. <laughs> You can find me there on Twitter if you want to kind of read some tweets and uh, check things out. Awesome, Josh. Well, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you for coming aboard and thank you for your time. Thanks, guys. Now, let's talk about all of the MLB transactions since our last podcast episode. It's a lot of reliever talk, but there's a few big names off the board and a humongous trade, which we'll start with. And that trade was Corbin Burns was traded from the Brewers to the Orioles for Joey Ortiz, D.L. Hall, and a 2024 competitive balance round draft pick. Pretty impressive steal by the Orioles. I mean, Corbin Burns is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Easily a top five pitcher in baseball. And I feel like the Orioles got him for relatively nothing. How do you feel about this, John? Because I think this is highway robbery and the Orioles are infinitely better. Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing to remember, probably the biggest transaction that we're not going to mention today, but I guess now I'm going to mention it, mention it uh, is that the Angels finally sold the Orioles to yes. a new owner. And so with new ownership, I mean, you see this basically in every single sport, but there's always this desire, like, make the big splash, right? And so they're, they're going to go after Corbin Burns. Now, someone could say this is a rental because this is technically, I think, Corbin Burns' last uh, year on his contract. Yes. Um, he is a free agent next season. And so, you know, it's not necessarily a guarantee that the Orioles are going to sign, re-sign Corbin Burns, but you bet ownership's going to, you know, try to push for an extension as soon as he's uh, with the team. And it, yeah, it does feel like robbery when you think about it. Like if you if you're trading, like let's just say six years of Corbin Burns uh, for, let's be honest, two prospects that are okay, but not like top three prospects in any sort of uh, imagination. Right. Um, DL Hall obviously is the name that most people know because he's been a pretty hyped prospect. Um, The unfortunate thing with him is that he just really hasn't stuck in the majors for too long. And there was also talk about how Baltimore was planning to use him as a reliever as opposed to a starter. And indeed, he relieved in 18 games last season. Um Really good strikeout numbers, but I think a lot of risk surrounding him in regards to starting is the fact that he only has two pitches, fastball and the slider, um, and he doesn't have really any other strong pitches besides those two. But maybe maybe Milwaukee could do something. Obviously, they're kind of the pitching whisperer 
organization of 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 the major leagues, so maybe they can find something for him. Uh, Joey Ortiz is like, you know, a guy. Uh, twenty twenty, he's twenty five right now, so he's also a little bit older. Uh, as a prospect, um, not like a whole lot to love in his makeup. Um, you know, probably good eye at the plate, but that's kind of maybe the best thing you can say about Joey Ortiz. Um, only played at the majors for 15 games last season and, and didn't do so hot. So, yeah, it, it really feels like like Milwaukee kind of lost this trade. Yeah. But when you're trading a guy like Corbin Burns, again, for one year, they didn't feel like they could re-sign him for, you know, like a big pitcher deal. They're pro- they were probably just willing to get, you know, whatever they could get. And so two, you know, let's just call them top 10 prospects, if you want to say that. Yeah. And a first-round pick, it's, it's not terrible, but it's not great either. Yeah, and it's really hard to put it in perspective because, once again, like you said, Corbin Burns is going to be a free agent after the season. There's no guarantee they re-sign him, so technically it's a rental, similar to the Juan Soto deal where Soto's a free agent next season, and they kind of got him for a steal. Sure, Michael King can be really good, and we like him for fantasy, and they got a bunch of other pitchers, of course, but it's Juan Soto, right? And same with this. It's Corbin Burns. So, Regardless if it's for one season, I mean, I'll trade two prospects any day of the week for Corbin Burns, you know, especially when it's the sixth best prospect in your organization, Joey Ortiz, who is a shortstop. And meanwhile, they have Jackson Holiday, they have Jorge Mateo, they have a lot of infield guys there. So they have a lot of guys to plug that position and they don't need Joey Ortiz technically. And then D.L. Hall, like you said, they wanted him to be a reliever. And I know Nick is begging for him to become a starter on the Brewers. So we'll see how that goes and we'll see if he has success there. But yeah, this really feels like a one-sided trade for the Orioles. It's a great, great trade for them. I have a friend that's an Orioles fan and I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, I just want one pitcher. I don't care if they sign Snell or Montgomery or any of the free agents. If they trade for Cease or Lazardo, I'll be happy. And he said, man, if we can get Burns, that'd be incredible. And Look here, we have Corbin Burns on the Orioles, so he is going to be very happy, and I think that Corbin Burns on the Orioles is a great fit. We know that he was already in bad blood with the Brewers after the arbitration talks and hearings, so it's about time he got out of the Milwaukee organization, but if the Orioles could lock him down for a long-term deal, that's going to be a huge win for them, and I think it really will base off of how they do this season. If they make the playoffs and this young core can excel yet again, Corbin Burns is more likely to sign with them. So we'll see how that goes, but I think Corbin Burns is even better for fantasy now because, I don't know, I just really like him on the Orioles. I think his confidence is going to be through the roof, and he can return to that Cy Young caliber pitcher. I mean, he was still great last season, but he can definitely be even better than that. So great trade by the Orioles there. Next, we have Josh Hader, who signed a five-year, $95 million contract with the Houston Astros. This is an awesome signing for the Astros. It does, however, bump Ryan Presley out of the closer role and makes Josh Hader the closer. So, unfortunately, one of the top closers in the game, let's say top 10 for fantasy at least, loses a job to give one of the top 10 fantasy relievers a job. Don't like that so much for fantasy, but regardless... It's a great signing. The Astros just got even stronger with one of the best closers in the game now. And now Ryan Presley is a setup guy. So that is a nasty one-two combo. And Josh Hader will hopefully still be great for fantasy. And who knows, maybe they'll split the job. But I think if you're paying him five years, $95 million, he's probably going to be your closer. Next, we have Reese Hoskins, who signed with the Brewers on a two-year, $34 million deal. I like this signing a lot. What about you, John? Because Reese Hoskins 
just didn't have a home on Philly after Bryce Harper had to take over the first base position. So Hoskins kind of just got shifted out of his job, but I think Hoskins on the Brewers is going to be dangerous. Yeah, I, I really like Hoskins a lot. I mean, he's a guy who definitely has 30 home run potential. I mean, he hit it last last season, 2022. Obviously, he missed 2023. Um, 2021, 21, uh, 27 homers. Actually, rabbit ball season, he only had 29 uh the season before that 34 so he's a guy who's shown that he can he can easily hit 30 homers and uh i think that plays uh for sure in milwaukee the tough thing of course about being in milwaukee compared to being in philly is that he doesn't really have a great offense around him to uh to get a bunch of rbis yeah um, it's kind of yelich william Contreras is obviously getting a little bit of hype there but beyond that it's it's a bunch of other guys who i mean you've heard of but they're not frankly like you know, bursting off the tr- off the page in terms of like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be great next season. Um, but I I think that's a good place for him. Obviously, I think the way that his contract is set up too, he could potentially opt out next season, uh, and potentially even get even more money for himself. Um, it just really sucks that this injury came at basically the worst time for him. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for Hoskins in in Milwaukee. I think I think it's a decent fit. Obviously, they needed a first baseman because they didn't uh, re-sign Rowdy Telez. Um, and so I really feel like Hoskins is an upgrade to Rowdy, for sure. And so, uh, yeah, I think this is kind of a win-win situation on both sides. And they kind of have an exciting lineup with potential. I mean, they have Sal yes. Freelich. They have Garrett Mitchell, who's coming back from injury, who looked really good before he got hurt. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the hype of Jackson Churio. So right. Jackson's Jackson's kind of the X factor there. Yes, right? 100%. They still have Willie Adamas, who's a solid player. So they have people that they can plug in. They have Joey Ortiz now. So they might make something work with this lineup that is good. But like you said, it's not as good as Philly, of course. I mean, Yelish, Contreras, Freelick, Hoskins as the top four with maybe Churio in there. It just doesn't hold a candle to Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, you know, the usual suspects there, JT Real Muto. So, mm-hmm. yeah, not the same. But still, I really like Reese Hoskins as a deep sleeper in drafts. I think if you can get him late in your draft, if you missed out on the big first baseman, he is a great option. I think he might have a strong bounce-back year. Next, we have a trade from John's team. Jorge Polanco was traded from the Twins to the Mariners for Anthony DiSclefani, Darren Bowen, Justin Topa, and Gabriel Gonzalez, who is a top 100 prospect in baseball. This trade kind of shocked me. When I saw that Jorge Polanco was traded, I immediately wrote to John on Discord and was like, what? (laughs) Why did they trade him? So, John, any insight on this? How do you feel about it? I mean, I'll be honest. I I was expecting him to be traded. Um, You have Edward Julian, who is kind of slotted in as your second baseman there. You do also have kind of some backup in Kyle Farmer as well, Um, you know, for a team that not necessarily is set at DH. You know, I don't think they're necessarily set there in terms of like, oh, they they can't keep Edward Julian there like full time. I think it was just time to to ship uh, Jorge Blanco off. Um, He's been dealing with some health issues the past like two, three seasons after being pretty much healthy for his entire career. And so... Um, obviously, it's still sad to see him go. You never love to see, you know, one of your cornerstones basically for the last decade of Twins baseball leave. I mean, he was an all-star, I think, in 2019. Um, uh, or maybe it was 2018. I can't remember exa- the exact year. But um, really good guy, you know, fan favorite. But it felt like with all the infield depth that the Twins had, he seemed like the most logical guy to, you know, get some 
pitcher depth, even if that pitcher depth is Tony Disco, who does not fill me with any sort of excitement. Um, <laughs> I'm. It was it was actually kind of funny when the Mariners um, traded for for him in the Robbie Ray trade. I was like, oh, that seems like an interesting pickup. And then obviously him going to the Twins, and I'm like, oh, great. Now he's on the Twins. Um, I'm going to actually actually care about how he does in game. So <laughs> he's. It feels like a very classic Twins move to to tr- pick up like a number five starter who just frankly like is a borderline droppable dude. Um, so we'll see how this works out. But it, if anything, it means that Edward Julian's just going to get a lot more playing time. They probably are not going to now platoon him at second base. I mean, they still could. Kyle Farmer is a right-handed bat, so they they might do some platooning there, but. Um, I think this helps Edward Julian stock and um, in terms of people who like care about dynasty and prospects, obviously this gives Brooks Lee a little bit more opportunity to take over that second base job as well. Um, once he gets promoted probably this season, mid season. So yeah, interesting trade. It, it'll be interesting to see how he does in Seattle too. Like he's not like a big power hitter. So him going to um, T-Mobile is, is interesting. I, I think it's going to hurt his fantasy value to be honest, if, if there was any fantasy value at this point, um and so it's an interesting trade for both sides i kind of like what the twins were able to get in return but it's probably not going to necessarily help the team this season yeah that's very very fair i find it very interesting that the giants signed robbie ray to a five-year 115 million dollar deal and then traded him essentially for mitch hanniger and jorge polanco yeah yeah, that's kind about of right. strange when you phrase it like that, but still, mm-hmm. I find that very interesting. But yeah, Jorge Polanco had just seemed like a twin always. Like, I don't know, I always yep, just associated sure. Jorge Polanco yep. with the twins, you know. But I really like Edward Julian. If he gets a lot of playing time now because of this trade, then I'm a big fan of it because I think he's got infinite potential. Yep. So I really like that for him, but it stinks to see Polanco off the twins because I just associated sure. him so much to the team. Yeah, you hate losing a guy who's like a switch hitter who is, you know, like top of your lineup sort of dude. Um, it's got a little pop and a little speed and obviously really good defensive versatility too. Can play second, yep. play short. Um, but yeah, it was kind of one of those like, you know, look towards the future moves and I don't begrudge the Twins for making it. Yeah, that's very fair. I just like the way Polanco plays the game. I would love to have him on the Mets. So hey, oh, for yeah. the Mariners, if you want to try to trade him to the Mets, I will not be against that. So I'll, I'll take Jorge Polanco any day of the week. But Moving on to the lower-end deals, I'll say. It's a lot of reliever talk and one DH. So we've got Justin Turner, who signed with the Blue Jays on a one-year $13 million deal. We have James Paxton, who signed with the Dodgers on a one-year $7 million deal. Aroldis Chapman signed with the Pirates on a one-year $10.5 million deal. Robert Stevenson signed a three-year $33 million deal with the Angels. David Robertson signed a one-year $11.5 million deal with the Rangers. Adam Adovino signed a one-year $4.5 million deal with the Mets. And also Jake Diekman just signed with the Mets. The details haven't come out yet, but Jake Diekman also signed with the Mets. Wandy Peralta signed a four-year $16.5 million deal with the Padres. And lastly, Colt Keith, top prospect in the Tigers system, signed a six-year $28.6 million extension before even making his MLB debut. So congratulations to Colt Keith. It's almost guaranteed that he'll probably have the position right out of spring training and he'll be in the MLB lineup. So congratulations to Colt Keith. That's very, very cool. But overall, the reliever signing, 
nothing really excites me. Another year of Adovino on the Mets. I love Jake Diekman signing with the Mets. It's great for us. A role as Chapman mm-hmm. with the Pirates. It's pretty obvious that they're paying $10.5 million to get a good prospect at the trade deadline. Yes. It's pretty much what they're doing it, here. I don't see him being on the team past the All-Star break. It really sucks because David Bednar is like kind of a really solid closer. He's like so pro- good. The problem is he plays for the Mets. Uh, the, for the for the Pirates. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hey, no slander, please. Hey, Come on. I love Edwin Diaz, right? He's going to be <laughs> awesome this year. Um, thank but you, yeah, thank David you. Bednar, man, if he was just on a better team that won more games, like, and now, now I will say, saves usually don't don't always correlate with uh, wins because you could be a 30 save reliever on, on, a, on a bad team, too. Yep. But yeah, Bednar just, man, it's it's a tough, tough spot for him because it almost feels like a role this is just going to have to close. There's a chance here that Bednar and Aroldis kind of flip back and forth based on who has the hot hand, but yeah, it, I I feel like what you said is pretty accurate. It just feels like they paid two point five million to to get a, a decent prospect haul at the end of. Hey, maybe they get the next Cole Reagans, right? Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna say. Is the Royals <laughs> ended up trading Chapman to the Rangers for Cole Reagans, which was an amazing interview during PitchCon, which. I loved listening to Nick interview him. It was awesome. As if we needed any more reasons to fall in love with Cole Reagans. He had a great <laughs> interview with Nick. So love that for him. I'm all in on Cole Reagans. Love him. But they turned Aroldis the Chapman into a setup guy in Texas. Because they really gave, in the playoffs, Jose mm-hmm. LeClerc the ball in the final inning. Yeah. So I could see the Pirates building him up as the closer because that's where he's going to get the most trade value, of course. So it does stink for David Bednar, of course. I think Bednar is going to get the job ultimately when Chapman leaves. It's pretty obvious because mm-hmm. Bednar's an amazing reliever. But it's very clear that Chapman's going to close. He's going to be gone by the deadline to a contender and the Pirates are going to get some good prospect for him. So it's pretty obvious at that point what that is. Robert Stevenson signing with the Angels. He's a great reliever, and I just feel like he's going to fade into dust with the Angels. I don't know. I feel like everyone just fades into dust when they sign with the Angels nowadays. Mm-hmm. Not great. And then Paxton, it, obviously a depth piece for the Dodgers. Yeah, it is truly unfortunate that like, maybe the best reliever in baseball in the second half of the season is going to the Angels of all team. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And then the last thing we'll talk about here is Justin Turner signing with the Blue Jays. I think that's a good fit. I mean, for some reason, I'm very underwhelmed by the Blue Jays' offense. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's just because they underperformed last year, but for some reason, I'm not in on Vlad Jr. next season. I'm not in on Bo Bichette. I don't like any of these guys as much as I did. Varsho lost catcher eligibility, so now he's an outfielder. He has a Mm -hmm. really low OBP. I don't know. The Blue Jays went from like such an exciting, amazing high-energy electric offense team with Teoscar Hernandez, and they added Brandon Belt for his splits, and they just had, like, such a good camaraderie, and now it just feels like we don't care at all. Yeah, it's, man, it, well, it's called people getting older, I guess, really. True. What's going on. True. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, let me just read off this lineup because it just feels old. It's George Springer. Yep. Then it's Bo Bichette. Yep. Vlad Jr. Roster Resource has Justin Turner batting fourth. Nah. Uh, yeah. Uh, nah. <laughs> they have Kevin Biggio batting fifth, which is definitely nah. not happening. <laughs> then it's David Schneider, who, you know, had yep. a really hot cup of coffee, but yep. who knows if that's going to stick. Dalton Varsho at seven, Alejandro Kirk at eight, Kevin Kiermeyer at nine. Man, I, I mean, I know Matt Chapman isn't like the hottest name, but I don't know why they haven't resigned him yet. I like, completely agree. It's like, pretty this shocking. Team, 
they they need Kevin Biggio on the bench. Yep. Like, yep. There's there's no reason to be starting him. Like your your bench is Danny Jansen, who again they're going to flip him with Kirk, whatever. Yep. Spencer Horwitz, who I've not heard of before. Uh, Santiago Espinal, who is kind of you know a jack of all trades. He had a really nice cup of coffee two yes, years ago. And he then did. He kind of faded. He's 29 as well. And then of course IKF, who can play everywhere and not hit anything. So yep. Um, the crazy thing is Vlad still going to turn 25 this year. Like he's so yeah. young still. Yeah. And so this I know this team felt like a juggernaut last season. Felt like a juggernaut the season before. But yeah, just just people getting older. Just man, it doesn't. Just doesn't look as great as it did like two seasons ago. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's very, very strange. And you're right, it is just getting older, but they like need left handed batting. They only have Biggio, Varsho, mm, and Kiermeyer. Sure. Like, that's nothing. They need a lefty. Cody Bellinger would have been a great fit on this team. Like, oh. I don't know why they didn't or are not going after him. They might still. Who knows? Like, we yeah. don't know. I but mean, right now it's Kevin Kiermeyer in center. That does not need to stick. No, he's 34, and he's a great fielder. I don't want to slight him on his fielding. Oh, completely, he is yes. One of the best center fielders. But George Springer gets hurt a lot of the time. He's playing right field. Left field, mm-hmm. you have Varsho, of course, but he could catch. I don't know. See, if I was the Blue Jays, and I'm not, and I'm not anything to do with the front office or anything like that, but if I were them, I would sign Bellinger, and my lineup would be Bo Bichette leading off, then Bellinger batting second or Varsho batting second, then Vlad Jr., then whoever of those lefties that I mentioned batting fourth, then Justin Turner batting fifth or George Springer batting fifth, then you have Davis Schneider, you have just a more deep lineup. First of all, they're not going to bat five righties in a row, so... Right. They got to put Varsho higher in the lineup. I don't know why they have him at seventh right now on roster resource. He's got to be batting second, especially because he's fast. I don't know why they wouldn't do mm-hmm. Bichette, Varsho, Vlad. So yep. and then put Springer after him. But yeah, no, they have a lot of things they need to work on. Like not signing Matt Chapman would be crazy because then Kevin Biggio is their everyday third baseman. Mm-hmm. Bellinger, I think, is once again a great fit. I don't know. I. Just am not excited about the Blue Jays. And Justin Turner is a great signing. He's a great hitter. But once again, he's 39 years old. So I know it's a one-year deal, but this just doesn't excite the fan base, you know. So I think they have a little bit of work to do. Who knows? You know, I know that they all drastically underperformed last season. So hopefully they turn it around. But for the Blue Jays, I think they need to do more. But that wraps up all of the MLB transactions since our last podcast. Corbin Burns being the headliner great trade for the Orioles. But that wraps up this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you all go, make sure that you follow us on Twitter or X at ThisWeekPL. And please send us your comments and questions to our email, ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter or X at TheJohnKa. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow myself on Twitter or X at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcherlist podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back in another two weeks with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.